Good morning, church. It is a is a good weekend. It is a good weekend. I know there's there's all kinds of things going on this weekend. People are vacationing. They're hitting the lakes. Some people are out on ball tournaments. There are all kinds of places. Graduations are going on. Some of you are probably like thinking, okay, I'm going to be sitting in another uh, gym this afternoon. This time not for a ball game, but to see so-and-so walk across and receive their diploma. It is an incredible time of the year. It's a great weekend. So we, we know there's a lot going on, but I want to pause and, and also remind us of this. It's also Memorial Day weekend. It is a time when we take a moment and remember those who have served in our country, those who still do serve in our country. And we know they have so courageously and bravely given of themselves, sacrificing their liberties, their life, to help us have freedom in this nation. And so we say thank you to so many people. And we thank God for them. And we think about what they did and we realize, you know what? Who's the first one that showed sacrifice? It was God. He first showed us a sacrifice by sending His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, because He loves us so much. He said, I want to free you from the bondage and the slavery of sin. So I'm sending my Son, who will die for you. He will sacrifice Himself for you so you can have freedom. That's what God did for us. And so when we see people today serving a nation, serving their country, even in your own family, saying, I will sacrifice my life for freedom. We're seeing just a glimpse of what God did for us. And just as we say thank you, God, we also say thank you to all those who have served in our nation. And we're very thankful for them. So let's do this. I want, I want to pray and just uh, pause for that moment and do that, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for making the ultimate sacrifice, sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to free us from sin, things that we do that are opposite of you, the things that we do that oppose you. You forgive us when we ask for that forgiveness. And, but you did it through your Son, Jesus Christ. What an incredible sacrifice. Thank you for that sacrifice. Thank you for the freedom we can now experience. And so God, we also then think of men and women who have served in our nation and are still serving, but those who have bravely and courageously, they gave up their lives so that our nation could have freedom. God, every day it seems we wonder how long will this freedom last and so we have people that are still serving and still sacrificing. So God, we thank you and we pause and thank you for people who courageously sacrifice for their nation, for each other. God, we again, we just pray now you just bless your words as we look at them. In the name we pray, amen. amen. All right, let me... Uh, Tell you to do this. Uh, get your Bibles. Get them ready to go. Okay. I'm not going to tell you to turn anywhere yet. Okay. But just have them ready. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Okay. I got to ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud. Okay. Because I know somebody will. But if I said DQ, what does DQ mean? Don't say it out loud. Okay. And there's going to be 101 probably answers to that. Probably the first one that came to somebody's mind. Because it's a sunny day and it's a warm and it's getting close to lunch. It would be Dairy Queen, right? That's not the DQ I'm thinking about. But some of you are right now. Now we've lost focus. Okay. Uh, the DQ that I'm thinking about is a phrase termed that when you make an error or mistake and you're no longer allowed 
to participate. You are DQ'd. You're disqualified. That's the term I want you to think about for a second with me, okay? Some of you in this room, at one point in time or another, you were disqualified in one way or another, maybe from a sport. Maybe you were disqualified on a test of some sort. Um, you can think back to me going, yeah, I remember that. Thanks for bringing it up. Years of counseling down the tube. Thanks, Rex. We've all been disqualified one way or another, but I'll never forget, it was the Summer of Olympics, this last year was in Rio, when a French runner's dream of Olympic glory was just smashed. Years of training came to a crushing end when he was disqualified. His name was William Belichian, and William was running 110 hurdles. Not sure why it's going on. You'll get a picture of him soon. He had qualified for the 110-meter hurdles, and, uh, but the problem was when he was getting ready to go, he bolted just a split second too soon. That's a disqualification because it's, it's an early start. It's an early jump. You can't do that. Okay? An alarm rang out, and this 21-year-old, his hopes of meddling in the Olympics was gone. This was the only event he was qualifying for. See, it used to be, back in 2010, they, they made a rule change. It used to be you could have a false start. Okay, you get a false start. You get one warning. Get back to your position. Get ready to go. And if you false start twice then you're disqualified. They made a rule change and said, no, you only get one false start and you're disqualified. That's it. That's pretty tough, isn't it? Here's a young man, one event. It's the only thing he ever hoped for, and it didn't work out for him just because of one split second. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever been disqualified? If so, where have you disqualified yourself? At what point in time did you in your life say, I'm no longer qualified to do this particular thing? Where is that? So I want you to finish the sentence with me, okay? We'll put it up here on, very, on the screen for you. More than anything, I want God to use me to what? Okay, I want everybody to answer this question to yourself, okay? Because everybody in this, this morning, God's called you to do something, but the question is what? What is it that you want to do for him? So look at it again. More than anything, I want God to use me to, what is it? Be a godly parent? Start a ministry of some sort? Help others? Repair my marriage? Maybe it's to be a witness to somebody, a co-worker, a friend, a family member. I want God to use me to, how would you finish that sentence? Everybody have an answer? We're going to come back to it multiple times, so be ready, okay? I hope you got an answer. Maybe, uh, maybe you had a hard time getting an answer to that because some of you have already thought, how can God use me? Maybe you've already disqualified yourself and thinking, I can't even come up with an answer because why would he want to use me? Right? Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's workmanship. We are his masterpiece. We were created to do great things, right? He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we could do these good things. You're created by the God of this universe. You are his masterpiece to be used to do what? That's scripture, right? But what is it that he's calling you to do? But for some reason, again, we disqualify ourselves. 
We don't feel worthy. We don't feel like that masterpiece. We don't feel like that work of art, like his workmanship. And we feel like we've been making too many mistakes in life. We've got a blown past or something's going on. And a matter of fact, for some of us, it was a big step just to step into church today. Because you're like, oh, if you only knew my past, you only know what I did last night, you know the way this week's been for me, I really don't feel qualified to even go to church. Some of us have been there. What I'd like you to do is turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 3. In this passage, we, we have a man who is chosen by the 12 disciples. Now, after Judas was gone, they replaced him to have 12 disciples again. But then the ministry of what was going on now in the beginning of the church, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything started taking off. And all of a sudden it became too much work. And and these 12 disciples could no longer do the work that was called to them. So they said, you know what, we need more people. We need more disciples. So they're going to pick another seven. So these followers of Christ are growing. They pick another seven to serve. Acts chapter 6, verse 3, says this. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected. They're full of God's spirit and wisdom. And we're going to give them responsibility. So Stephen, full of spirit and wisdom, found himself with an incredible opportunity. Stephen was chosen to be one of these seven. Now, follow along with me. Now let's go again eight. Verse 8 of chapter 6 of Acts. And it says this, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, that was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene and Alexandria and Cilicia in the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit from which Stephen spoke. Now, chapter 7, if you were to read on, then gives us an incredible speech by Stephen as he's before all these men. He starts all the way back with Abraham, gets through Moses, all the way to Jesus, covering from start to finish. And as he sort of builds up the steam in his speech, he looks at those that he's talking to, and he basically calls them out. He looks at these false accusers and points out and says, basically, you're the ones I'm talking about. Oh, you can only imagine the angry whispering going on, the Sanhedrin, these religious leaders, as Stephen's history lesson starts to hit to their heart, they realize he's talking about us. He's blaming us for the death of Jesus Christ, which, yes, that was. Stephen saw this. He knew they were rejecting once again the God of this universe. They were rejecting him. They had rejected Jesus. He sees it again on their face. They're they're rejecting this message. Stephen's main point was unmistakable. He says this, as Israel was in history, so are you today. God gave you the law, but you've not kept it. You've not kept it. Go to chapter 7 with me of Acts. Acts chapter 7. Go all the way towards the end of that chapter in verse 54. Verse 54, it says this. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. They shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven. And he saw the glory of God. 
He saw Jesus standing in a place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in a place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 57. Then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city. They began to stone him. Stone him. If you don't know what that means, they picked up rocks. They picked up stones. And this is how they would kill people. They would just keep throwing stones and throwing rocks until that person was dead. They began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats. They laid him at the feet of a young man, listen, named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Now, Stephen was stoned. He was executed for basically putting out there what was true. He spoke truth. And the religious leaders did not like it because they knew they were the ones that were being accused. And there stood, amongst all of his accusers, while the stones were flying, there stood this young, educated, highly religious man, and they put their coats at the feet of him. His name was Saul. Saul was overseeing all this. He was like the supervisor, so to say, of this operation that was taking place. He approved of what was taking place. And so the persecution of the followers of Jesus Christ, as you see going on at this moment in time, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you're a follower of him, you could be taken away by this man, Saul. You could be put in prison. You could be killed just because of what you believe. Today, if those back doors opened up and Saul walked in from this point in time in history, he would have us all taken outside and imprisoned or killed. So let me ask you, how strong is your faith right now? Stephen was like, I'm here. I'm not changing where I stand. And he died for his faith. And there stood Saul. Read with me again. Uh, Go to chapter 8 now. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Let's read that. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. All the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the region of Judea and Samaria. Verse 2. Some devout men came. They buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Wow. Here's Saul. A sophisticated man, highly educated, but he hated the followers of Jesus Christ. It didn't matter how smart he was. He didn't like you if you liked Jesus. In Acts chapter 26, verse 4, Paul said, at that point in time, his name had been changed. Saul was changed to Paul, okay? He's under arrest. He stands before King Agrippa in chapter 26. Now, think about this. This is further down in history. At this point, you're seeing Saul before he knew Jesus Christ. He just wanted to kill people who knew Jesus Christ, right? Acts chapter 26, Saul has been changed gives his life to Jesus Christ. His name is now changed to Paul. Paul standing before King Agrippa. Who is King Agrippa? Well, let me give you a little background here on him just very quickly. Paul is now standing before the man whose great-grandfather tried to kill Jesus when Jesus was a baby. Paul is now standing before a man 
whose grandfather is the one who beheaded John the Baptist. Paul is now standing before the man who martyred that first apostle, James. Not exactly the guy you want to stand before if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That's some bad family history going on right there. But Paul said this to King Agrippa. He said, as the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know I've been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of the religion. Now, why did I read that? Why did we fast forward? Because at that point in time, Paul gives us a little history about who he was. He was a strong religious leader. He had been well-educated. This guy was like Ph.D. material. You know what I'm saying? He's the guy you have a conversation with, and if you're not up to date, if you're not up to speed, if you're not an intellectual person, you're like, is there anything on TV? Because you're like, man, this guy's way up here talking to me right now. For some of us who enjoy that intellectual talk, you enjoy having a great conversation when it gets to maybe a deep theological discussion. Maybe you uh, are very strong in maybe engineering or maybe in the world of... Um, where as a doctor you're studying maybe or maybe chemistry and you get in that discussion, you start talking chemistry with me and I'm thinking, the only chemistry I know about is between my wife and I. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Okay. Don't give me that big chart with all those initials on it. I have no idea where I'm going with those, right? But if you're a chemist and you're sitting with another chemist, you hear this incredible talk taking place. Why am I saying this? Because at this point in time, Saul was an incredibly deep religious man. Very intellectual. And he is the one who hated followers of Christ. They were a threat to his religious beliefs. Going back to what Paul saying in chapter 8. He says this, I used to believe they ought to do everything I could to, I'm sorry, chapter 26, to oppose the very name of Jesus Nazarene. He stands before King Agrippa saying this, saying, Indeed, I did that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priest. I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. He's confessing to this king, you know what? You know how I used to be? I was sending people to prison. As highly educated as I was, I didn't get it. And I cast my vote against them, and they were condemned to death. Verse 11 of chapter 26, he said this, Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. If they moved to another city, I went after them. If they went to the next town, I went after them. I was going to find every Christian I could and kill them, persecute them, put them to death, whatever I needed to do. Although Saul was such a highly educational and devout religious man, you look at him and you say, this guy hated the followers of Jesus Christ. He was like the modern day ISIS. He approved the killing of Christians. He hunted them down. Right? So Saul here, being the arch enemy of Christians, there's no way God can use this guy, right? I mean, let's, let's pause. If that's all we know about Saul at this time, we don't know anything about his conversion. We don't know anything about becoming Paul. All we know is Saul is this man right now. Let me ask you this. Can God use this man? I'm going to guess right now that if we were honest, we would look at him and say, no way. Convicted killer? A murderer? A plotter? No way. How can God use anybody like that? 
Some of us might even drive by a prison sometimes. You just ask yourself, you're driving by a prison, and you look, you say, can God use anybody in those walls right now? How many of us would say, God could use every single one of them? Or would someone say, I don't know if God could use any of them? Because of our human nature, we're probably going to side with the second. We're probably going to say, can God use a person like that? Not realizing that we're the same way. Haven't we done the same with others? I mean, we're disqualifying Saul. Haven't we done the same with other people around us in our life? A family member, a co-worker, maybe somebody in this church? You look at him and say, there's no way God can use that person. Maybe you've looked in the mirror and you've said that about you. Maybe you've said, I don't think God could ever use me. My past, my history, no way. What I'm going through? But again, I'm going to ask you to do this. Answer this question. More than anything, I want God to use me to what? Because see, if you've already disqualified yourself, it's going to be hard to answer that question. What's keeping you from that? What's disqualified you from that? Whatever it is that you want to do for God, why aren't you doing it? You ever feel like you're sort of like raising your hand and God's not picking you? Do you ever watch one of those TV shows, a commercial, maybe as a teacher, you've got that kid in your class and they always got their hand up. They're the first one to put their hand up. You're like, all right, anybody else but Sally over here? Okay. It's usually not Sally. Sally's a good one, right? We usually pick on Johnny, try to find a different name, right? But there's always somebody, boom, hands up, and like, pick me, pick me. Remember Mr. Kata? Welcome back, Kata. Remember that? Ooh, 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 remember? Yeah. Never picked him, right? Yeah. Do you ever feel that way, though? It's like, God, pick me. I want to do, but you feel like God's not looking at you right now? Let's continue on in the book of Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, starting, uh, picking it back up in verse 3. Acts chapter 9. Picking it back up in verse 3. As he was approaching, this is now Saul. He's heading off to Damascus. He's about ready to go find some more Christians and put them in prison. Verse 3, it says, As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one whom you're persecuting. Now get up, go into the city. You'll be told what you must do. Verse 7 says, The men with Saul stood there speechless. For they heard the sound of somebody's voice, but they didn't see anyone. That's sort of weird. Saul picked himself off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days. He did not eat. He did not drink. Here's the turning point for Saul. Damascus is a six-day journey by foot. So they're traveling, and they're moving. Saul's almost there. A blinding light knocks him to the ground. Saul's the only one blinded. The other guys can all see. But they all hear the voice of Jesus Christ. At this point in time, we'd expect Jesus not only to knock him down to his knees for what he has done to every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ, all the people he murdered, all the people he put in prison, all the people he beat. Don't you think about this time? Jesus is like, time for my justice to step in. I'm going to put you to your knees, and I'm going to take off your head. 
But does God do that? Did God send Jesus to do that? No. Instead, he goes, I'm going to blind you to something, first of all. And you're going to become so weak, so dependent, so realizing that you're not seeing what's going on around you, you're going to have to see me. God doesn't only forgive Saul, but he gives him a new name. Change his name to Paul. He gives him a new future. God's going to make him the leader of the Christian movement. He's going to make him the first evangelist outside of the Jewish faith. And he's going to become the first great theologian. He's going to write 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. That's Paul. Look what he was like before that as Saul. Let me ask you this. Does God need Paul to do his work? No. Look at the person next to you and say, no way. Okay, some of you didn't turn. I understand you're visiting here. It's your first time. You're saying, we look at people and we talk? It happens on occasion, okay? It happens on occasion. So I'm going to try one more time, okay? Does God need somebody like Saul to do his work? Look at the person next to you and say, no way. There we go. That's better. I've got to coach you up every now and then. Christianity was already growing. They had all kinds of great leaders. Twelve disciples, another seven, minus Stephen. But hey, there's no one to replace him. But God picked Saul. Let me ask you this now. Does God need us? No. But he picks us. Think about that. He doesn't need anybody in this room today to do any work for him. He doesn't. He could do it himself. But you know what the amazing thing is? Is God says, I'm picking you. I'm choosing you. You are my chosen. You are my beloved. And I'm choosing you to do something for me. I'm choosing you to change this planet. I'm choosing you to take my message to a world that needs to hear it. We've been chosen. But a lot of times we just sort of look at that and we say, but I don't feel qualified. Right? That's where we sort of get stuck. We hear the truth. We're chosen. We're loved. God's got a mission for us. God's got a purpose for us. He's got a plan for us. But then we stop there because we say, I don't qualify. Why? Who told you that? Some of you think it's too late. It's, it's too late. I, I can't, do anything for, can't do anything for him. Maybe we think it's too late because our marriages that were so awesome and so strong are starting to sag and we think it's too late. Or maybe our children are making some decisions and we want to step in and figure out, but maybe they won't listen. And then we think, oh no, they're all grown up. It's too late. I can't parent anymore. I, I, can't, make a, I can't make an impact there in their life. Maybe you have a coworker or a neighbor. They're seeking answers out. You've got the answers. But you're like, oh, I missed the opportunity to share with them. Oh, too late. You begin to think that you're missing your chances to do something for God. I ran out of time. You know, the other day we were at a ball game. And uh, we packed our lunch ahead of time because it's like, you know what? We can't eat out. There's so many ball games. We can't just stop at every restaurant all the time. So let's pack some of our meals. So we packed it. We went to the ball game. After the ball game, uh, we're, we start to eat our food. And But Clay had already eaten his sandwich on the way because, well, it was his pregame meal, right? So he's got all of his other food but no sandwich. So it's like, okay, we'll stop and get you a sandwich, and I'm going to eat my stuff that I packed for me. So and mind you, we packed our own stuff, Okay. So I packed for myself some good old chicken breast, okay? Some lunch meat, chicken breast, 
um, crackers. I was going to slap that chicken breast on those crackers, and we had fruit. And so as we're going along, I'm just slapping that chicken on that crackers and just munching away, and he's eating Chick-fil-A, right? Okay, so already we know who got the better deal, okay? So as we're driving, and, and, and I'm just sort of reaching over to give me another one. He's like, damn, you know what and I think, man, you know, this is about two minutes, three minutes into this. I think, man, Clay, something in here stinks, okay? I know you just played a ball game, but, you know, we're men and we're boys or whatever. Anyway, it's like, something smells. He's like, Dad, not me. I was like, really? Give me a, I'm like, do me a favor. Look at that bag of meat that you're slapping all on. What's the expiration date? Yeah, it was three days beyond expiration. That bag of chicken smelled like something else, Okay. Beyond that expiration date, we've all done that, that gallon of milk, like, right? Okay. Some of us feel that way, don't we? It's like, I'm beyond my expiration date. I can't be used anymore. You might as well just dump me out, God, throw me in the trash. I can't be used anymore. Wrong. You still can be used by God. It's not too late. Maybe we disqualify ourselves believing we're not wanted anymore, which is a false thought by the way. We just sort of let it creep in. Nobody wants me. I feel like rejected by people, rejected by my peers. You know what? Maybe we think that about God because that's the way people are. But here's the truth. God's not that way. God doesn't just look at you and say, you know what? I don't like you anymore, so I'm just going to reject you. I don't want you anymore. Let me take you back to Jesus and Peter. Peter, the close disciple of Jesus, one of the three big names. We always say Peter, James, and John, right? Like the inner circle there of Jesus. Do you remember what he did to Jesus before Jesus was crucified? He denied him three times, right? Oh, I don't know him. I don't know who you're talking about. Jesus, who's that? Three times he denied Jesus, the one he was closest to, the one he loved. He was heartbroken. He knew he had denied his Savior. He knew what he did was wrong. He thought, you know what? I'm beyond forgiveness. I'm beyond ever being used by Jesus. Matter of fact, after the resurrection, he went back to fishing. So he's on his fishing boat. Jesus is resurrected. He's ascended into heaven. You know what? I really blew it for Jesus. There's no way he wants me. I'm sure he doesn't want me anymore. But Jesus came to him again, didn't he? He called Peter in, and Peter jumped out of his fishing boat, swam into shore to be with Jesus. And Jesus reminded him that he was forgiven and that he was wanted. Have you ever realized that as you read the Bible, you discover a great number of people who could have easily disqualified themselves because of their past? Just read through it. They could have said, you know what, because of what I've done, God, you don't need me anymore. We listen to our warped sense of thinking and we listen to others and we remind ourselves of our past. We disqualify ourselves because of our past. But here's the incredible truth. What is Romans 8, 1 said, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you confess with your mouth and you've asked God for forgiveness, He looks at you and He says, I don't condemn you anymore. Get rid of the guilt. Get rid of the shame. You are no longer condemned. And maybe we disqualify ourselves because we think, oh, it's too late, or I'm not wanted. But here's another one. We can't forget the past. Maybe God's forgiven us of our past, but we hold on to our past. 
It's true that letting people off the hook and forgiving others is hard, but sometimes it's harder for us to forgive ourselves for what we've done. Look with me again back in the Bible. Let's go back. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 9. Actually, I think I skipped one. Go to verse 13 with me. Go to verse 13. Acts chapter 9, verse 13. Now, there's a believer in Damascus by the name of Ananias. Now, again, Saul is blinded. He's sitting in that house three days. We move on. Verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 11. Well, I'll get you all over the place, won't I? <laughs> the Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias, which is you, coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But listen to the reply by Ananias. He goes, oh, wait, Lord. Just a second here. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that he's done to the believers in Jerusalem. He's authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. Now, here's the thing. The Lord speaks to a man named Ananias. And I love this because Ananias was just an ordinary man. He was not an apostle. He was not a prophet. He was not a priest. He was not an evangelist. He was not an elder. He was not a deacon. Yet God used him because he was an ordinary man. If an apostle or a prominent person maybe would have ministered to Saul, some people might have said, well, Paul received the gospel from a man instead of Jesus. In the same way God chooses to use the believer, there's a special work in us that he wants us to do. God told Ananias, go meet Paul. Help him move forward, would you please? But Ananias knows the past of Paul, doesn't want to go to Paul. He believes it's an instant execution. I'm going to go to this man's house. He's the one who kills Christians. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. I don't care if he's blind. He's probably, it's probably a trap. He's probably going to kill me. Fear can easily disqualify us, can it? God, I don't know if I can do this. Dr. Charles Stone shares this. People initially assume the worst. Your brain is wired to put, pick up the negative more than the positive. In fact, two-thirds of the brain cells in the flight-fight part of your brain are wired to pick up what's wrong rather than what's right. Our brains have a built-in negativity bias. People initially latch onto potential negatives of change rather than the positives. Isn't it amazing that our brain works that way? So a lot of times when God's telling us to do something, boom, the brain's also kicking in as well. Not only are we having a spiritual battle probably going on, but there's also this thing going on intellectually with our brain saying, ooh, no, man, Whew, that change, that could be dangerous. Although fearful and negative, Ananias obeys and he goes. Church, let me ask you this again. Are you feeling disqualified today because you couldn't fill in that blank? You think it was too late? You think, well, I'm not wanted. I can't forgive my past. I'm a little fearful. You think, God's, there's no way God's going to qualify me. I feel disqualified. Kyle Eidelman, who's a pastor and author, wrote this. I want to read this to you. What's the past burden you're still carrying? Adultery? Go talk to David the king. How about lying and deception? Abraham and Isaac, 
knew a little about that. How about a sordid past? God chose Rahab, a prostitute. Anger, temper issues? James and John fit into God's plan anyhow. He ever dropped the ball as the worst time? John Mark did too. How about a string of bad relationship choices? Well, the woman at the well knew what that was like, and God sent Jesus as a message just for her. Maybe today it's your turn. Isn't that amazing? All through the Bible, all these people who are disqualified by our standards, maybe God's standards, he says, no, I choose you. I choose you. I was listening to the radio recently, and I heard um, Patsy Claremont. Some of you ladies are probably familiar with Patsy Claremont, so a couple head nods. And she shared this story. And I was listening to it, and I thought, that's a cool story. And actually, um, one of my sons was riding with me, and they said, Dad, that, that's, that was a really good one. And I said, I know. I said, it's actually what I'm preaching on Sunday. I said, I think I'll share that story. So this is a story from Patsy Claremont that she was sharing about when she was at one point in time at home, just sitting there. I think she was sitting there, and, and she said God gave her a vision, a picture of, of something. And in her vision was this, this milk pitcher, okay? And it had, it was broken. It had cracks down the front and a hole. And obviously, you can't put milk in it, right? Because it's just going to spill everywhere. It's cracked. It's broken. It seems useless, right? Then she saw a hand. It was the hand of God, and it, it scooped up light. And it took the light, and it placed it in that pitcher. And then God put a cover over the top of that pitcher. And the light was shining out of the cracks and the holes. And God says, where does the light shine best when you look at this picture? And she said, through the brokenness, through the holes, through the cracks. I said, exactly. So you think that I can only work through you with your talents. We think when people get up front and they do great things that they're shining for Jesus. Sometimes I choose to shine through your brokenness, through your cracks. That's a great story that Patsy shared. And I thought about that more and more. And I sit there and think, I believe there's so many times which we fail to realize God wants to shine through our brokenness. God wants to shine through our cracks. God says, you're not disqualified. You're perfectly qualified for what I want to do through you. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the power of God. See, our faith is built on God being glorified through what we may deem as failure and defeat. God just sort of works that way. Now, I was standing at a ball game the other day, and I heard this guy talking to another coach. We were at a tournament. And all the standings for the teams were up on there and sort of looking to see who's playing who. And I heard a guy off the side of me say, hey, who's that FCA team? It's like, I got my FCA jersey on. I'm thinking, oh. And before I could say anything, the guy next to me goes, oh, that's the future Christian athletes. Future Christian athletes? It's the fellowship of Christian athletes. But before I could go over and, and kindly correct him, another guy grabbed, grabbed me and said, hey, I got to talk to you. He's like, uh, he needs to be corrected, you know. But anyway, but I thought about that. I walked away and I thought, Nobody ever gets our name right, first of all. Okay, that's the first thing I thought. Second thing I thought, future Christian athletes. No. Some of us think somewhere down the road, I'm going to live for Jesus. No. 
It's now. You're qualified now. That's the other reason I think sometimes we disqualify ourselves. Oh, I'm not ready. Right? Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Turn there with me, please. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road sent me so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate food regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few more days. Look at the next word. And immediately, immediately, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains in the leading priests? Verse 22, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night, city gates, so they could murder him. But Saul was told about the plot, and he escaped. Some of us are saying, okay, Rex, you're telling me that God's qualified me? Yes. So like down the road, now, Saul was changed to Paul. He was converted, and then the the scales came off. He could see again. What did he do? He regained his strength. And immediately he went out and told people about Jesus. God said, you're qualified. As in now. As in now. There's a movie clip I want to show you. The kids might enjoy this. Maybe some of you guys in here too. But it's from Captain America. Uh, it's a good old superhero. Can we call it a Memorial Day clip? No. But in this movie, Steve Rogers just wants to serve. He is small, if you remember the movie. Not much Muslim at all. Nobody sees him as a hero. No way. Not a soldier. Matter of fact, he's been disqualified by everyone. Everyone. But he's chosen for this experiment. And this experiment, he's infused with something. It's going to change him forever. He becomes powerful. He becomes really strong. Ready to serve. But instead of serving, he's sidelined to these shows. Watch what happens. a little bit. Crowds I'm used to are usually more, uh, 12. Well, I understand you're America's new hope. Bond sales take a 10% bump in every state I visit. Is that Senator Brandt I hear? At least he's got me doing this. Phillips would have had me stuck in a lab. And these are your only two options. A lab rat or a dancing monkey. You were meant for more than this, you know. Some of us look at our lives and we think there's only a couple options. Like she said, a lab rat or a dancing monkey, right? Yeah. That's all you are? That's all, is that all you see yourself? 
Don't you realize you've been infused with something powerful? Don't you realize that you're America's hero? Don't you realize that you were created for something bigger now? And you say, these are your only options? You were created for more than that. When I saw that scene right away, you know what came to my mind? A couple scriptures. I know I don't normally throw them on the screen. Here they are, though. The first one coming from 2 Timothy 1.7, For God, who's not given us a spirit of what? Fear, intimidate, but a power and love and self-discipline. 1 John 4, 4, but you belong to God, my dear children. You've already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. Church, God qualifies you. God's called you. He's infused you with his Holy Spirit to do something for him. Worship team, would you come forward, please? What's he calling you to do? We're infused with the Holy Spirit. Just as God qualified Paul, he qualifies you. What is it that he's asking you to do for him? Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for how mighty you are, how awesome you are. But yet you don't lord it over us like you're so good that you don't need us. Because you really don't. But yet you love us. And you called us. You've given us purpose. And some of us look at ourselves and we've disqualified ourselves. And you're saying, stop it. I've chosen you. I've infused you with my Holy Spirit. You're stronger now. You're more loving now. God, what is it that you want us to do? What is it that you want us to do? Speak to us, God. Then whisper in our ears or knock us upside the head. Whatever you got to do to get our attention, remind us we're qualified through you, through your spirit. We're qualified to do the work you've called us to do. Thank you, God. Thank you. God, we're going to sing to you now. Keep worshiping you. Love you, God. In the name we pray. Amen.